Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like uh, this is a special occasion or something. We're yeah. getting to teach together. And thank you for staying on your side. Yeah, of the this stage. rug is six feet, in case any of you are wondering. Uh -huh. So we're not <laughs> violating any decrees or anything. Uh -huh. But yeah, the church leadership was like, hey, do you want to teach with your best friend? I was like, I would love to teach with Eric. And they're like, we met Charles. But anyway, the joke so. wasn't funny the first service either. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, le hey, look. Hey, have you ever had to um, dress up as a Bible character before? <laughs> Actually, yes, I have. I think that there is uh, there's maybe some good Bible characters dress up dress up as. I, I mean, I suppose if you had long hair, muscles like neither of us, you yeah. could be Samson. Yeah, that's a good one. Or if you wanted to go the cost effective route. You and your spouse, if you had an apple, you could get some fig leaves or some romaine lettuce, whatever you got, stitch it together, going as, as Adam that, and Eve. That one's a little more risky, though. I would be careful with that. What, perhaps if you held on to Marlena's cats, you could be Daniel in the lion's den. No, I'll pass. Uh, <laughs> this would be a good one. Very intense, but a good one. I was reading in Revelation about the second coming of Jesus. When he comes back, it says he's going to be riding a white horse with a, wearing a white robe dipped in blood with fire in his eyes Epic. and a sword coming out of his mouth. I mean, Epic. that would scare some people. Yes. Yeah. And, and although those are some good characters, there's some not so good characters to dress up as. Okay. So one time when I was in kids' celebration, like a long time ago, <laughs> maybe some of you students remember, uh, I w led worship and did the large group teaching. And I had to dress up as baby Moses, okay? Yeah. Now, I'm a grown man wearing a giant diaper on the stage with a T-shirt, okay? That was the worst part. The worst part was in the middle of the message, I had to transition into old man Moses. So what's old man Moses have? He's, he's got long hair Long and a beard. hair, beard, yeah. right? But I couldn't go backstage to change. So I had to have the beard and the hair out there with me. So I had to stuff them in the diaper. True story. And I'm thinking, like, if hair hangs out of this diaper in any... Stop the story right there. We don't need to hear any more. It's going to be bad. I, I actually had to dress up once um, as Joseph. Um... My parents didn't have a ton of money growing up, and like most kids wanted to dress up as superheroes and cool things like that. My mom decided she was going to take whatever she had around the house. She was going to sew me together this, this coat of many colors, if you know the story of Joseph. And so I have actually have the, um, the coat, and, and my mom made this for me, and, and I went around the neighborhood... And knocked on doors and said, trick or treat. And let me tell and like you, four people knew when who people you were. <laughs> come to the door and they're like, and who are you supposed to be? And I'm like, I'm, I'm Joseph. Like, like, why don't you know this? You know, it was, uh, bad story. <laughs> Over the last several weeks, we have been looking at what the good life looks like, according to Jesus, found in Matthew chapter 5, as he's as he's speaking through the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount, we've heard what the good life looks like according to him. And, and although Joseph, not a great character to dress up as for Halloween, he is an excellent character to look at when we want to dive into what it looks like to live the good life. He's a great example. Yeah, so the big question today is what does the good life really look like? And, and to help us answer that question, we're going to take a look at the life of Joseph, who is the son of Jacob, and his story is found in the book of Genesis. And we're going to see how Joseph's life demonstrated some of the beatitudes that Jesus talked about thousands of years later. Now, Joseph's story is way too long to read, so we're going to give you the Spark Notes version. And students, 
If you're in middle school or high school and you see some confused looking adults, please tell them what SparkNotes is. <laughs> uh, but basically, we're just going to give you the shortened version of the story. Yeah, so let me begin. Joseph, he was the second youngest of, of, of 12 brothers and one sister. And like many of us would say about ourselves, he was their father's favorite child. He was Jacob's favorite kid. And how do we know he was a favorite kid? Well, Joseph was born late into Jacob's life, and so he was the baby of the family. And so Joseph was given a special gift by his father, Jacob. And it was a gift of a beautiful robe. And, and some of us, in some of our Bible translations, it says it was a coat of many colors. And, and obviously, this made his brothers jealous because they didn't get a coat. It was only for Joseph. In fact, his brothers became so jealous of him that it says in Genesis chapter 37 that they couldn't even say a kind word about him. Yeah, so Joseph's brothers didn't like it for that. They, like, they didn't like it for a lot of reasons. One is like they knew he was his dad's favorite kid. Mm -hmm. Two, Joseph was a snitch. Uh, three, Joseph had dreams that one day his brothers were going to bow down before him. And dreams then held so much more weight. They were considered prophecy, like visions of God. And so as socially uh, ignorant as he was, he tells his family, hey, I have these visions from God that you all are going to bow down before me someday. How do you guys how do you guys think about that? And like his parents are like, are you crazy? You think we're going to bow down before you someday? Yeah, well, so one day... Jacob, Joseph's father, tells him, hey, would you go out in the field, check on your brothers, they're tending the flocks, would you, would you go check on them, please? And, and this is where the story takes just a little bit of a turn, because it says this in Genesis chapter 37, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, get this, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And then we shall see what becomes of his dreams. Okay, maybe uh, just a bit of an overreaction. Okay, <laughs> unless bit. you grew up here with some like difficult siblings and you're like, look, I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying I get it. Okay, <laughs> but the, his brothers are literally ready to take his life. Well, one of his brothers, Reuben, he didn't want to do this. So he's like, look, let's just rough him up a little bit um, and leave him in the well. And we can still take the coat and rip it up, put some animal blood on it, and tell, tell Dad that he was attacked by wild animals. Mm -hmm. So Reuben's the only one who's really thinking clearly here because he had a plan. It says here in uh, Genesis 37, 21 and 22, it says, But when Reuben heard of this scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without us even laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So the plan's in action. They do it. They take Joseph. They, they take his coat. They rip it. They throw him into the cistern. And if things seem like at this point they can't get any worse for Joseph, well, his brothers had one more idea because why should they not make some money off of him? I mean, that seems like, at least for their troubles, they should get something out of it. So it goes on in Genesis to say this, that Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime instead of hurting him. Let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother. That's kind. And our own 
with flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him, in, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. This does not sound like it's a good life. No, and that's exactly what I was thinking. You must be thinking, I, hey, I thought we were telling the story of Joseph because this is the story of the good life, and this doesn't sound good at all. In fact, up till now, this sounds pretty awful. However, I must say, it's taken all of these things, all of these difficult things in Joseph's life to lead up to the first example of Joseph truly being able to live out the good life as explained by Jesus. And he takes this and he lives this out. God blesses those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Yeah, and I'm sure Joseph is mourning some stuff here. You know, he's mourning uh, the loss of his family. He's mourning uh, the fact that his brothers hated him, the loss of his dreams, the loss of his freedom. And in this verse, uh, Jesus is specifically talking about the mourning of sins. And I think that Joseph is mourning over the sins of his brother and that they could hate him so much in their hearts. But it says that he, in that beatitude, it says that those who mourn will be comforted. And, well, how is Joseph comforted? Well, we knew that he was not alone. In Genesis 39, 2, it says that the Lord was with him. And even though Joseph may not have realized it in that moment, God was at work for his good in, in ways that he couldn't have imagined. And so Joseph ends up getting taken to Potiphar, or taken to Egypt and sold to a man named Potiphar. And Joseph works very hard for Potiphar, and it doesn't take long for Potiphar to realize this, put Joseph in charge of all of his servants. Because Joseph is a young, hardworking, um, he's a well-built and attractive man. And so Potiphar isn't the only one who noticed. Potiphar's wife also takes notice of, G of Joseph. And Potiphar's wife starts putting the moves on Joseph, all right? She's, 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 trying, to, she's, she's trying to seduce him. But Joseph, who's a man of integrity and knows this is wrong, refuses. In, in Genesis 38, sorry, 39, 8 and 9, it says, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Now, this is an interesting point because he says it's a great sin against God, not a great sin against Potiphar because the reality is he could probably get away with this, right? But he's, he's, he's refusing not because he thinks he's going to get caught and get in trouble, but because he knows that even if she thinks it's okay, it's still a sin against God. So he gets out of there. He literally runs away. And she's so embarrassed and so mad, she screams and tells everyone, including her husband, that Joseph tried to seduce her. And so Potiphar finds him, has him arrested, and Joseph gets sent to prison. Joseph insisted on doing what was right before both Potiphar and God because he cared about living righteously. He wanted to live righteously. And that's another one of the Beatitudes that Jesus talked about. He said, God blesses those who hunger, for, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Joseph, here, he's committed to doing what's right regardless. I mean, what, doing what was right landed him in prison. And I, and I wonder, as I think about this, if, have you ever been put in a situation like this? I'm not talking about uh, getting thrown in prison. I am talking about, however, have you ever been put in a situation in which you knew to do what was right 
was going to cost you something. Perhaps being honest about a situation that happened at work could potentially lead you to losing a job. Or or being truthful and standing up for what was right in a relationship could possibly cost you that relationship. You know, we've never said once over these last weeks, looking at the Beatitudes, that the good life was going to be easy or simple. In fact, we've learned that it's quite the opposite. Living the good life sometimes means it is going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. And as we look at Joseph's life, even up till now, it doesn't seem good. In fact, he doesn't look like a blessed man. I mean, his his brothers tried to kill him. He's he's sold into slavery. Now he's being convicted of a crime that he, he never even committed. If I was Joseph, I think my spirit would be crushed. I would be I would be devastated. I would be, I would be hurt. I would be disappointed. This, this, is, this to me is too much to handle. I, can't, I couldn't do it anymore. And that leads us to yet another beatitude, that he's living out the good life. God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is there. And I think J- Joseph here is broken in spirit. He's... He's poor in spirit because he's in some serious trouble again. And just like us, when we're in trouble, Joseph reaches out to God. I mean, how many times have you gotten to the end of your rope and you realize this is bigger than you? Mm -hmm. A a popular saying is that God never gives you more than you can handle. (laughs) Most of you will know that that's not true. Many of us have faced things that were more than we could handle, but they're never more than what God can handle. And so God allows us to experience things in our lives that causes us to realize we're at the end of ourselves and that we need God. And so did Joseph. And God was working on something greater than Joseph could imagine sitting in that prison. Because while he's in prison, here's a couple of the other convicts talking about some dreams, some visions they had, and they didn't know what they meant. Well, Joseph knew a little bit about dreams, and so he interprets them. And he tells one of the convicts, he says, hey, your dream means that you're going to be reinstated. You're going to get your job back with Potiphar here, or you're going to get your job back with Pharaoh shortly. And, and he says, and, and when you do, please remember me. Please help me to get out of here. And they're very grateful. And so the, so the guy does. He helps Joseph to get out of there. He does remember him. Two years later. And, and I, I just stopped there. Two years. He sits in prison waiting. We read over these details in in Scripture. And so often, dates and times and years, it's it's easy to gloss over. Two years in prison, waiting for a guy to help who said he would help. And I think to myself, how is this good? This This is the good life, two years in prison. And yet, and yet Joseph, he never stopped trusting the Lord. He, he, this was God's plan, and he knew that. And, and his perspective on being in that cell was entirely different than I can imagine it would be. Because I wonder if you feel like you've been pr- sitting in prison for two years or, or three years <laughs> or five years or ten years. You know, you've been dealing with an affliction. You've been praying this prayer over and over and over again, and it just seems like God's not even noticing. God has totally forgotten about you. Because 
Like, I could not imagine sitting in prison for two years. Like, if yeah. I have to sit in a doctor's office for 30 minutes or my <laughs> shipping is delayed by a day, I'm like, the Lord has smited me. I could not imagine being in prison for two years. And so, yeah, this guy forgets about Joseph until two years later when Pharaoh starts having some, mm. some dreams, some visions, and, and he can't find anyone to interpret them. And that's when this former convict is like, oh, yeah, the guy in prison who I said I was going to help, he knows how to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. And Joseph tells him what the dreams mean. He interprets them, and he says, hey, these dreams mean that in this land, there's going to be a, a plentiful harvest for seven years. But then after that, there's going to be seven years of famine where there's going to be no food. And Joseph not only interprets the dreams, he advises them. He's like, look, you better ration and save this, this food so that you have enough. And Pharaoh's probably like, look, I don't, have, I don't, I don't want to take that on. I want, I'm so impressed with what you've done. I want you to be in charge of this. And so he took charge. Fast forward about nine years. We're a couple of years into the famine, and things are, things are hitting hard. It's a, the, the, the area is devastated by this. And the only place that anyone could get food is in Egypt, thanks to Joseph. And, and so people are traveling from all over the place to Egypt to come to Pharaoh to try to get food. And, and all these people were coming, including... Get this, Joseph's brothers. They make the trek to come get food. And, and I, I love this. It's Joseph sees his brothers in line. Can you imagine this? They sees them in line waiting for food, but his brothers don't recognize him. In fact, Genesis 43 says that Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. I love that because, like, how, 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 it's just like a little brother to mess with his older brothers, totally. right? Because we read in Genesis chapter 43 that Joseph's brothers end up bowing down before him because he's in charge with their faces to the ground. Now, remember, Joseph had a dream. He had a vision that this was going to happen, that one day his brothers would bow down to him, and here it is actually happening. Yeah, I, and I think through this, and I say, how would you respond in this situation if you were Joseph? I know how I would respond. I, I'd rub it in their faces. I would rub it in yeah. their faces. I would make sure that they saw everything I had. I would want them to notice my position. I would want them to, to, to see all that I had put in, put, in, put in charge of. I would flaunt all the things that I had in their face. I would want them to recognize me. That would be my attitude towards this. I mean, it's the only reason we go to high school reunions, right? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. But Joseph, he doesn't take this opportunity. The opportunity I would take. In fact, as Joseph's standing there, he lives out yet another beatitude of Jesus. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And as Joseph is here, he's talking to them. And finally, he, he can't hold back anymore. I mean, I imagine he's busting at the seams. And so finally, it says in Genesis chapter 45, he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive. 
to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. So we see Joseph in this moment reflecting the character of Jesus before Jesus had ever even entered into our world. Mm -hmm. He shows his brothers mercy when they don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. He lives out this beatitude that, that God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Mm -hmm. He's living out the beatitudes. He's living out the good life, which brings us back around. What does the good life really look like? Well, we can see from Joseph's story and probably your story that the good life doesn't always feel good. And it, it certainly doesn't look good sometimes from our perspective. It doesn't look good from culture's definition of what the good life is. And in the moments that he was in, Joseph probably didn't feel like he was living the good life. And there's going to be times when we feel the same way. Now, we have a view of Joseph's life that we don't have of our own. You can open up the book of Genesis and you can read the story of Joseph's life. You can see the beginning. You can see the end. But you can't see the beginning and the end of your life when you're right there in the middle of it. And, and so what do you do when you're stuck in the middle? What do you do when you insist on maintaining your integrity at work and then you lose your job because of it? What do you do when you're honest about your flaws with somebody and then they reject you because of those flaws? What do you do when you pray for your kids every single day and then they still walk away from the faith? What do you do when... And when you're trying to live the good life, you're trying to trust in God uh, to provide, and then you still can't pay your bills. I think we all know it's not a secret that, that sometimes things don't work out the way that we think they should or the, the way that we hope they will. And so I don't know if those are the real questions to ask. I wonder if the real question here to ask is where do you put your hope? Where do you put your trust? Because the gospel doesn't say that life is going to always go well. No, the gospel says we can be secure in Jesus. You know, Joseph still died. He died 110 years old. And at the end of his life, his final words were still inspiring others with what he knew to be true of God. He never stopped sharing. In fact, these are his final words that are recorded in Genesis. He says, don't be afraid of me. Am, am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but listen to this. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Soon I will die, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to our father, Jacob. You know, even in his death, Joseph still trusted God with everything. In fact, he trusted God so much that he knew that God allowed everything that had happened in his life, everything, to happen for good. Joseph lived the good life. And maybe you're thinking, you know what, that's great, but, but what do I do when I can't see the big picture? What then? Right? It's like, well, what do you do now? Right. You know, which makes me ask the question, you know, what would it be like for you if you truly believe that God cares about you and is taking care of you? What would that look like? I mean, would you struggle a little less? Would you have less anxiety? Would you fret less? Would you worry less? Would you maybe not work as hard and trust in God to provide maybe and those difficult moments, you would have a sense of peace knowing that God was in control. Mm -hmm. So I want you to do this. I want you to consider, 
you know, do you have a relationship with God to the point where you can actually trust him? And yeah, that takes time, but also it takes intentionality. Are you willing to carve out time in your day, in your week, to get to know God? Um, to, you know, we're here in the row today, which is an important part of celebrating uh, and worshiping and learning together. But do you have a smaller group of people who are helping you, who are encouraging you, who are guiding you through, through life, helping you to navigate? And then are you, um, do you have time in the chair, what we call chair time, where it's, are you taking time out to, to read God's word, to hear what he has to say, and to pray, to share your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings? Um, because if we're not willing to do that, um, how will we be able to, to know that God can trust him? And then do you know God's word well enough to know what he says about you and what his promises are? Or are you like me sometimes where I'm getting my advice from books or from other people who, who may not know exactly what God is saying? If we want to know what God is saying, then we have to go to his words. And then lastly is do you know anyone who has some history with God who can help guide you? For me, having older mentors in my life have, has really helped me to navigate through life and to understand some of the difficult situations. And so if you're a young person in here or anybody, I would, I would encourage you to find somebody who maybe has a little bit, is a little bit further along the road in life who can help encourage you and guide you and share with you what God has said. And if you are an older person here, would you please just make yourself available to help younger people along that route as well? That's exactly why we encourage small groups. Because you're in a community with people who are potentially going through the same thing as you. Or maybe they have gone through the same thing with a and they're, and they're out the other side. They have a perspective now uh, of seeing God work and a perspective of being able to trust him that they could offer encouragement to you. It's so critical. The world here, it offers us so many different routes to, to experience what the good life actually is. So many of them are filled with these promises of, of, of happiness, of, of good things. But I tell you what, none of them promise the most important thing. That is a relationship with Jesus, and that is the, the hope of an eternal life that we have in him. Because Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have life abundantly. The good life here is one that is lived in trusting God and allowing him to work out all things for the good, even things we may not understand in the moment, just like he did with Joseph. And so at times, if we don't feel like the life is good, we can still in those moments trust in the one who, just like in Joseph's story, the one who can see our story from the very beginning to the very end, and he's with us the entire time. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this, this truth. And I thank you for the example of, of Joseph that we get to read and, and we get to use to remind us of what this looks like. Lord, for the moments when life doesn't feel good, Lord, may we continue to trust you May we continue to lean into you knowing fully well that you are in control, that you love us, Lord, and that you do work things for good. You're good. And I can be happy and I can be secure in that fact, Jesus. 
So thank you. And we love you, Lord. Help us, we pray. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, happy Labor Day weekend. And we have greeters who are going to be dismissing you from the back to the front. So wait for them and we'll see you.